Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, as you perhaps have noticed, national attention to diversity, equality, and inclusion were greatly accelerated by numerous national events of 2019 and 2020. Industries of all types are now closely examining their diversity policies and recruitment efforts. Now, according to the U.S. labor statistics, people of color are still in the single digits when it comes to the percentage of employees in the public relations industry. African Americans are just under 8%. Hispanic Americans are just under 6%. Asian Americans are just under 3%. However, at 90% of the public relations jobs are Caucasians in America. What can be done to increase the number of people of color in the public relations jobs? Now, lack of availability is certainly not the problem. My guest today is Jelana Torres. She is an account executive with ProSec Partners in New York City, where she joins us from today. But prior to joining ProSec, Jelana was an associate with Weber Shadwick in its corporate reputations and brand practice. She received her BA degree in corporate communications from Bernard Baruch College in New York City. Now, Jelana wrote an article in Business Wire outlining some of the barriers to diversity hiring in public relations. So, Jelana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, look, what led you to think about and then write this article? Yeah, so it actually it started off at ProSec. They have a blog called Unbox Thoughts, and myself and my manager really, stemming from the events that happened at the Capitol on January 6th, really thought that there was a conversation to be had about clients um, and the issues of race and counseling on them on that. So once we published that piece, Business Wire reached out to me and wanted to wanted me to pen another piece related to Black History Month. And it was really up to me to choose the topic. And conveniently, I had had a conversation with a friend who was applying to law school and she was at a law fair, and they were, which was conducted virtually, and they were talking about well, why don't you have diverse candidates entering your program? Because as part of law school, that public that information is public. And I just felt really discouraged 
with the response that the recruiter gave to her, just that they don't get the applicants. And it just reminded me of a convert or the events that happened with Wells Fargo, where those same sentiments were shared, that there's not, a, not enough diverse applicants, there's not enough diverse talent that wants to work in financial services. So it, that just, it's then from there, I pitched them the idea and it sounded, they were really interested in it, but I think it's just a larger issue wherever sector that you're working in. And I found as a black woman working in public relations, I am that diverse talent that they are stating is not existing. So just really looking at that and wanting to give some actionable advice that the PR community could really look at and make sure those, these diverse communities feel seen. So how did you go about developing what some of those, or let's say not developing, but identifying what were mm-hmm. some of the barriers that you located or you saw or you experienced? Well, I just, I, I guess I just reflected on my own journey to public relations. So for example, one of the, the action items I gave was ending the unpaid, unpaid internship. So early on in my career, I think I was in my junior year at Baruch. I had a few unpaid internships, not in the financial service industry, but really when I wanted to work in consumer and, and fashion. And it was just a struggle for me to really do that on maybe like three days a week, also attend school and be able to support myself financially. So I'm just, there's a lot of conversations now that are being had about unpaid internships. And as I shifted gears and wanted to work more in the corporate sector of PR, I found that the, some of the larger agencies are paying their interns and the experience was drastically different about just me being able to support myself. So I just very, I think it's unfair and creates a level of inequality if these organizations are offering unpaid internships, like, well, who are taking those unpaid internships? It's those who have the means, whether that's from their family or outside sources to support them while they're essentially making no money. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really puts those people of color who may not have those same resources at a disadvantage. And then when you look back at, look even beyond internships and you want to get a full-time job, well, they require like one to two years of experience. So if I'm a, I am a person of color, I'm applying for a job and I don't have that experience because I wasn't financially capable of taking that unpaid internship where mm-hmm. my white counterpart might have. So already from the beginning, you're at a disadvantage. Well, let me say this. Um, when I was in the Clinton administration, one of the things that I was doing in a particular office uh, that I worked in, the assistant secretary asked if I would, let's say, oversee bringing in some interns. So in interviewing them, and unfortunately, it was the federal government, and they were not paying. So I, I certainly mm-hmm. understand the, the predicament that it put people in, particularly when you're living in a city, uh, either like Washington, D.C. or New York, where it's very expensive to live there. So that yeah, uh, exactly. that, that certainly adds to the complications, and uh, and hopefully pay attention to that and correct that, because that is a huge problem for uh, folks to try to uh, get over. And what else did you find? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So what else did you find? Well, just even I'm looking outside the box when it comes to where you're recruiting. So I think as I started to work with more people and look into their background, it was amazing to me that some of the smartest people that I worked with in the industry didn't even have a PR degree. Like they were lawyers, they worked in the financial services industry, and just like PR was the next step in their journey. So I'm just thinking about so many talented individuals that we're not even looking at. So when you're saying that talent isn't there, I would just question, like, where exactly are you looking for it? Mm -hmm. Are you looking at schools that have like corporate communications programs? Because I think that's just very limiting in itself. Like we should be looking elsewhere. And even I read a a post on LinkedIn recently that 
these companies are touting like they want they embracing diversity, but really like aren't recruiting at the community college level where you find people like really super smart people. And I myself went to community college too, that just maybe don't have the resources to spend on a private education. And so like that in itself is really limited too. So I think we shouldn't just be limiting ourselves to recruiting at like these big private institutions, but really looking outside that, outside the box, whether it's community college, where there are really smart people who are prioritizing their financial stability over going to a name brand college. And just from my own experience, I was surrounded by a lot of smart people who shared my same experience where I, I got into private institutions and four-year schools, and that was great, but just didn't have, I couldn't afford to go to college and not live at home and save money. So I think, and then you really find that grit and hustle with those at those schools with those people because they really learn how to make the most out of a little and work harder than anybody else because they want those same opportunities that are allotted to people who go to those private schools. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I think that's an in- interesting observation, as you said, because you know, if you continually go to the same place and, and your results are not that mm-hmm. great, you know, obviously something needs to change. And what that change is, yeah. that, that's what they that's what they need to look at. And, you know, the, the other part is obviously HBCUs. There are a lot of yep. uh, organizations, uh, student organizations, such as PRSSA, you have journalism, and you also have those um, people who might be in radio and TV as well. Because if you look at some of the anchors on TV or some of the reporters on TV, they're not all communications background folks. Some of them are attorneys. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, they decided to shift gears and go in a different direction. But that says to me that, yes, people do need to look in different places to have some increased and better results. Yeah, and the HBCU recruiting is a great point, too, because ProSec is doing that. Um, we're actually doing a recruiting session with Spelman and Morehouse, and that, that's just, just their business association. So, again, like not even looking at the, the PR majors, but like there are transferable skills, the people who are majoring in business that are totally applicable to the PR industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it comes to PR, I think as more and more we're counseling our clients about different moments in time, whether that's Black History Month and making sure that their organizations are diverse and they're having these important conversations, we need to make sure that our industry is reflective of the advice that we're giving them. So we, it can't just always be like Caucasian people giving advice, I think really making sure that our industry is reflective of that of that is going to be really important. And I think some the the issue with PR too, I found like you're almost maybe like there are a few people of color in the industry overall, so that makes it hard when you have issues related to race. The immediate reaction is to go to um, like the black person, or if the issue is concerned like Hispanics, to go to the Hispanic on your team and ask them for their advice. But essentially, I don't know that that's like the most fair to do. So just making sure that we have like a really robust amount of talent and that it's reflective of all the different demographics, I think is going to be important. Well, part of, as I listen to you, one of the things about when you're trying to overcome a problem, uh, obviously, sometimes you do need to go to some of those people who that you're trying Mm -hmm. to help you solve that problem. But who is planning the diversity pl- programs in some of these larger organizations? That might be part of the problem because, as I think you might have indicated or touched on it, that they're not quite sure where to go, where to look. Yeah. If you're just invited to a, a conference to hire diverse talent, you go to that conference and that's all you do, then, of course, uh, you might not uh, get the sort of results you want. 
But uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you go to uh, to places where the, the people you're looking for are, that certainly enhances your uh, opportunities to reach them because you know they might not know about the diversity conference that you wanted that you attended, but they didn't have any information on that. So somebody has to look. Part of the I think part of the answer is how do you go about planning to reach the people you would like to get? Who's in on that exactly. planning? Exactly. Yeah, and like definitely people of color need to be a part of that conversation, as you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just interesting. Several weeks ago, I uh, talked to a Hispanic guy out in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he has a, a Hispanic PR firm. And that is one of the things that he says that, you know, <clears throat> you just can't translate, uh, have somebody who went to college and took Spanish translate a, pub, a press release for you and expect to respond to work. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are long gone. There's a lot more to it than that. And if you don't understand it, you're going to have some problems and you probably waste a lot of money in the process of trying to penetrate a Hispanic market. Yeah, no, there's just so many nuances in language and tone that you want to make sure of. It's just even like my family, they're they're Puerto Rican and there's just some things I don't understand. So I wouldn't feel comfortable translating it. And I took Spanish all throughout high school. (laughs) So it's just you need that love. That's why you need diverse talent. So you when there's opportunities like that, you can tap them when necessary um, and really listen to their advice. Mm-hmm. Well, I just did a presentation to the uh, South Carolina PRSA, and one of the things I pointed out to them is that the uh, the complexion of the United States is changing. Mm-hmm. Somewhere it's they don't have an exact date, but somewhere around 2035 to 2040, 2050, somewhere in that neighborhood, the percentage of people of color will be the majority in the U.S. And just in terms of looking at the market, you know, do you have somebody that can help you penetrate that market and be culturally accurate about it? Mm-hmm. That's what people perhaps really need to f- focus on. No, yeah, I totally agree. Tell me about the leadership in your firm when you said that they were came up with the idea of uh, reaching out to uh, people of color. How did how did that come about? Yeah, so I'm not too involved uh, in that specific. We break them up into different councils. Um, so the actual the head of DNI at Prosec Partners is my direct manager. So I believe it was her idea too. And they just, I think it's an increasing, especially at Prosec and I found that I really value this, that they are really great about listening to diverse talent and wanting to be in the places where that talent exists. So I think it was just a conversation we need, even at the apprentice level, we have a paid program, which again, just eliminates the unpaid internship. And we really want to make sure that like our firm is diverse. We have diverse talent. So I think it just stemmed from that want and um, having that connection with these HBCUs. Do you know whether or have you heard about whether uh, some of the senior leaders of the larger PR firms have come together at any meetings that they might have to discuss, you know, better ways of penetrating the diverse markets that uh, uh, and populations that, that we have? Have you run across that conversation at all? Yeah, I mean, I think those conversations are ongoing at ProSec, at least. I And they were ongoing at, at Weber as well. And I think there's just, there's no shame, at least how I feel personally, there's no shame in admitting that there's work to be done. So I think these organizations that traditionally haven't targeted this diverse talent or may look at the makeup of their organization and say, oh, we do need more Black people, more Asian people, all of like different demographics, there's no shame in saying like, okay, let's just reevaluate how we're doing our recruiting system and make changes. I think sometimes companies are scared to have that conversation, admit that it's something that they're working on. But I think having that transparency and admitting that like, okay, we did this, 
what we were doing previously was wrong, but here are the, the actionable steps that we're taking to fix it is something that I value. So I don't necessarily think that like organizations need to be like need to have that answer right away. But hearing like even you say that they're having those conversations is definitely like sparks the right tone with me, at least. Mm hmm. Well, I can I can say this, that some people have been paying attention because if you look, let's say, just look at television ads and what mm-hmm. do you see a lot more of? The first thing that, that I see a lot more of than I have in a long, long time are Asian-Americans in TV ads, regular TV ads. Right alongside yeah. them, perhaps are Hispanic-Americans in the regular TV ads. And another thing that I've seen that, that is really on the increase are interracial couples. You know, whether the composition uh-huh. happens to be so somebody is realizing or paying attention that, hey, look, this is happening. And if we want to benefit from it in terms of our marketing and penetration or help our clients to do our marketing and penetration, then we need to uh, get busy and make sure that we get this right and uh, do it sometime soon. No, yeah, I agree. I love seeing, like, watching TV shows and seeing, represent, uh, like, a broad spectrum of representation. And you speak about, like, interracial uh, relationships. I think those are important to depict on TV. So I'm just glad that people are taking notice and I'm seeing that change. And, like, people who are younger than me or where my kids one day won't have to deal with not seeing themselves reflected on TV or not seeing stories being told about their life. Um, so I think those things are all important. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the other thing I did, because there are certain complexities that go with different uh, different cultures, just out of, because I was, as I said, I was going to and did make this presentation to the folks in South Carolina, and the fact that Hispanics, but uh, not Hispanics, but uh, Asian Americans, particularly China, the Chinese population, when I ask, uh, I just asked Alexa, how many different subcultures are there in the Chinese the Chinese community? And she picked China, of course. She said of all mm-hmm. the, the buildings of people there, there are 56 different subcultures there. So, oh, wow. my goodness. Now, I'm sure that some of those folks are here. So that, once again, tells you that all Chinese might not speak exactly the same language or everything might not translate the same way. So if you need to, yep. you need to identify those subcultures that you are trying to reach and have somebody that knows what they're doing and how to go about doing it, because otherwise you can make some huge mistakes. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's super interesting. And no one group is a monolith when it comes to how they think, speak, act. So you can't just, there's always work to be done. So I think that's interesting that you bring up these different sections of like what it means to be like Chinese or these, these different areas. Like it's important not to just have like one person on your team who's of Asian descent, but you need to really have that reflected across every sub, like everything. Well, even when the, with the Hispanic community, what what was pointed out to me that uh, you know uh, the same thing. Well, you know this: there are various cultures, and somebody might be from Mexico mm-hmm. or or Brazil or Honduras, and so, and, and so there there are cultural issues that change as well. So that again, Spanish is not necessarily universal to everyone who speaks Spanish. Yeah. And I mean, I think with this latest election, you saw that like the Hispanic community isn't a monolith and they don't think the same way. Um, But even like me being Puerto Rican, like I have exposure to what it means to be Puerto Rican and, and speak Spanish and be around people of that community. But that's not to say that I know everything about like being Mexican or Honduras or different or, or like different um nationalities. Like you, you really have to do your research and be willing to 
um, listen to those different people as well. Now, have you, um, I know you wrote this article, have you thought about maybe Mm -hmm. putting together some sort of a booklet to codify this information? Because, you know, one of the things you mentioned in your article is to have uh, organizations who are looking for a particular group of people to partner with student organizations in those schools so that they can reach that. Had you ever thought about codifying some sort of a book about the guide to enhancing the diversity in your organization, so to speak? I mean, I, I haven't thought about it, but it's funny that you mentioned that because our HR director actually reached out to me today because she had read the piece and really wanted me to partner with our HR team to make sure that they're looking at diverse talent. Um, and I'm, I'm, of course, happy to do that. I'm not sure if I'm ready to write a booklet because, of course, I'm no expert on the topic. I think I can only speak from my experiences, but just that level of, like, we're listening and want to include you in part of, as part of the conversation is really important to me. Well, you know, one of the things in some cases, you know, obviously you can't be too specific, but there are some general things mm-hmm. that you need to know, such as those we've just talked about, that all groups are not monolithic. You know, that yep. uh, what happens uh, even as a uh, an African-American, I'm from Washington, D.C., now some of the cultural traits and so forth and so on in the Deep South, I have no idea what they are. But, you know, it depends on where you want to go to to reach the particular people you're after. You need to have somebody who is familiar with that group to tell you how mm-hmm. to go about it. So it might not be the necessarily the essentials, but the process. And the process is get somebody from the, that has that cultural experience to help guide you through the, the process of developing your outreach program, I guess is perhaps the best way I'm putting it. Yeah, and then it, even in like the... Um, the blog that my myself and my manager wrote for like the ProSec blog, we gave that same advice. Like it's, there's no shame in bringing in outside voices. Like no one expects you to be an expert on every single like nuance, but just bringing in the, those like employee resource groups or affinity groups who can help this, help you like facilitate like tough conversations. Um, I think like employees will really appreciate that. You know, the other thing that uh, I was thinking about, you know, as we maybe begin to wind down here a little bit, is that when we talk about diversity, Mm -hmm. too often there's groups that are left out. And when I say that, you know, I think about the seniors. Uh, Folks forget that, wait a minute, seniors are a group that that really need to be brought in. One, because a lot of them make a lot of money. There's there's no question about that, and they have a lot of time on their hands. But I also recall disability. Folks who are disabled, that's another group that I think sometimes gets left out of the uh, diversity conversation. So sometimes we need to broaden what that scope is. Oh, maybe mm-hmm. last year or something, I did a, a podcast on marketing to uh, members of the blind. And they have money to spend. So, But you need to know what to do and how to go about doing it to reach those people so that you know you don't get on their, on their bad side and turn them off as potential customers. No, yeah, I totally agree. Well, Delana, you have really uh, certainly uh, helped us to better understand how uh, our listeners can better understand how to go about um, removing some of those barriers. I'm just wondering if you would have some perhaps closing remarks to uh, to give to listeners. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing I could say is that it's an ongoing conversation. You don't have to have the problem solved right away. I think just making sure that it's on your radar if you were previously an organization like oh and thought oh maybe i I, the diverse talents out there just recognizing that and looking inwards is the first step that you can take so i think no one expects organizations to be perfect but we expect them to do the work so i think that's what i would leave off with 
Well, good. Thank you so much. Uh, my guest today was Jelana Torres. We were just talking about the article she wrote for Business Wire about uh, how to remove barriers to, for uh, increasing diversity in, in public relations. So I really want to thank her for taking the time to uh, to join us today. And I want to thank you as our listeners for uh, listening today. And if you've enjoyed it, of course, give us a great review. And, of course, tell your friends and be certain to listen to the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.